This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Moshe Engelberg, the author of a new book entitled The Amari Wave, Uplifting Business by Putting Love to Work. Please listen to podcast number 761, where Moshe and Greg speak about the benefits of embedding love into the workplace and the tremendous effects that it brings to employees, customers, and the business. Many businesses such as REI, Costco, Trader Joe's, and many others have experienced profits and employee engagement levels rise as a result of bringing love into the workplace. We hope you enjoy this engaging and informative interview with author Dr. Moshe Engelberg about his new book, The Amari Wave. Please listen to podcast number 761. And if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Moshe Engelberg's new book, please visit www.theamariwave, spelt A-M-A-R-E. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And uh, humble as I do every time I come on these shows, I got to thank my listeners who come from around the world. We have more people joining all the time on our 10 channels that we're now on. Plus, we're doing video uh, interview of these interviews. Actually, we turn into videos as well on YouTube channel. So for all of you out there supporting Inside Personal Growth, thank you. Today, joining me for Toronto, Ontario, Canada, uh, is Humble the Poet, poet, also known as Kanwar Singh. Um, and he is joining us for the second time. This book that he has is Things No One Else Can Teach Us. We will also put a link to the other podcast that he did with us on his previous books, which was, give me the name of that one again. You want Unlearn 101 Simple Truths for a Better Life. So that's the one we'll put a link to as well. And good day to you. How is it up there in Toronto day? Nice and cold? <clears throat> nice and cold, but sunny. Well, that's good. That's a good thing. Because yeah. that means you can get out and walk even though it's cold and not freeze your you-know-what off. But uh, humble, I'm going to let people know who you are. He's an MC, spoken word artist, and author who embodies uh, diversity and resilience in his art with tattoos, beard, head wrap, and ready smile, and former elementary school teacher. He stimulates audiences with ideas that go against the grain and dynamic live shows that shake convention and minds. Humble brings fresh tracks and huge truths from his own life on his popular Instagram page and YouTube channel. His distinctive style and point of view have been featured on the popular television program CBC's Canada Reads and took home top prize. He has performed at concerts and festivals, including Lollapalooza, and has been featured in major media. He's also featured in Apple's first Canadian ad spot for what's called Shot on iPhone Campaign. His latest EP, entitled Righteous Ratchet, features the single Hair, a celebration of women of all shapes, sizes, hair, and walks of life. So you can reach Humble at www.humblethepoet.com. There you pretty much can get it up. We'll put links to Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook for Humble as well in that link. We'll also put a link to Amazon so that you can get a copy of this great book that he's written. Well, Humble, you know, you start this book out by telling the reader you had an unrealistic vision of what it was going to be like to be a writer, right? Everybody thinks they can write a book. I've written two and I know how tough it is. 
And to this day, you say that the real writer still eludes you, that, you know, you don't feel like you're a writer, even though you've written two books here. The point of your book is that we need to learn from the bad and the good that happens to us. If you would, speak with the listeners a little bit about your journey as a writer and what's the good and what's the bad that came out of this. Um, I think even the definition of good or bad kind of uh, starts off the conversation. And I think all of us have gone through a lot of challenges and, uh, you know, we've interpreted our speed bumps as roadblocks. And I think that's kind of where uh, I'm, I'm talking about things no one else can teach us because I think that, you know, the challenges that we deal with in our life, no one else can teach us to find value from that. So for me, you know, in my past, I've been, you know, betrayed, I've had my heart broken, I've been ripped off, I've been violently robbed, um, you know, I've gone through, you know, car accidents, I've had to turn the other cheek during conflicts, and, uh, you know, the type of situations that many of us can, you know, all connect with, and uh, the overall goal here was to simply have a conversation and say, hey, look, if we, instead of, you know, burying this stuff super deep inside and trying to forget it, let's try to learn from it. And uh, let's see what we benefit from when we learn from these moments that we normally refer to as trauma. And the moment that we voluntarily revisit these situations in the past and find value from them is the moment that we'll be better equipped to deal with the future challenges that are inevitably going to come. Yeah. And, you know, you know this as well as anybody that whatever comes into our life, we bring into our life. We're responsible for that. And, you know, when you point fingers outside saying it's the external world that did it, then you know you're not on the right path because the reality is, is everything, uh, no one here is here to make you happy except you. So if you think someone's making you unhappy, it isn't their job to make you happy. Okay. So you have a wonderful poem that puts life in perspective. I'd like to have you recite the poem, Enter, if you would to the listening audience and expound on what you want to convey about the impermanence of life as a result of that poem. I thought the poem was really great. Um, so which poem? So every chapter starts with an interpoem? So which yeah. poem specifically? You have a mean? poem about this uh, that you were talking about, and it's about impermanence of life. I don't remember what page it's on. But uh, it's one of your poems that uh, I pulled from the book. I didn't cite the actual page at the point. So I think I, think I found it. I think it's okay. about the temporariness. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, you won't return like the sunrise, but I'll feel your warmth. What did I do to deserve a few moments we had? I'm overwhelmed. When you brought me pain, you brought me rain. And the seed of wisdom came to sprout. Your voice vibrates with a half-life of infinity. Everything will be said, will be said forever, until there's no one left to hear it, and then it won't matter. In a temporary world, it matters that you shared your temporary time with me. I'll see you in forever. It's so beautiful, and it Thank means you. so much, and it's uh, so poignant. And so reflect, if you would, not only just on the poem, but you and I were talking about the impermanence of life before the podcast even. And yeah. how important that is to reflect on it because, you know, people have to come to grips with death. Uh, none of us is immortal, right? So yeah. this poem really kind of exemplifies this relationship between the living and someone passing. 
Completely. I think um, <clears throat> what I was aiming to do was every chapter opens with an interpoem that, you know, talks about an idea and, you know, it gives a little bit of a standard perspective on it. So, you know, everything is temporary and, and that can be a sad idea. Uh, and then every po um, every chapter ends with an exit poem, which has uh, talks about the same subject, but with a different perspective. So the inter poem for everything is temporary is a little bit bleak, you know, a little bit, you know, uh, void of hope. But the uh, the exit poem is about everything being temporary. But this time uh, it changes the lens and talks about how that's a liberating idea, how we don't have to take everything so serious because everything is temporary unfortunately and unfortunately nothing lasts forever um and i think remembering that you know we don't have unlimited sand in our hourglass uh can be the necessary kick in our butt to keep us going and uh you know keep us uh on track to live the life that we want to live knowing that tomorrow isn't promised um yep. instead of being fearful of it uh it's a liberating idea and for me um Accepting that everything is uh, impermanent has really given me a perspective to uh, appreciate the things while I still have them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so it's so crazy. But there used to be a little saying, you know, yesterday was a canceled check and tomorrow is a promissory note. And the reality is that's true. All you really have is the now. And I think that's what you have to realize. You know, and you had this very traumatic experience. You spoke about it just a little bit. Spending time in New York, you were violently robbed in this small street in Brooklyn and Queens in the middle of the night. And, you know, you have many instances in this book where you tell a story about yourself and then reflect upon what's happened, what you learned, right? What you took from that. So what happened to you and how has that experience changed your life for the better? You also have a great story about your dog that we're going to go into next. But this one about you being robbed, violently robbed, uh, really had you reflecting a lot. Yeah. So um, uh, a couple of years back, you know, maybe about eight years back, uh, very late at night, I was walking down a quiet street um, just on, a, on, the, on the borderline between Queens and Brooklyn, New York. Um, and I got jumped and robbed by four young men. And, um, you know, they physically attacked me. I had, I had cuts and scrapes and bumps and bruises on my face. And um, they, they ended up not taking much because, you know, I had a lot of Canadian cash on me. And I guess they didn't understand Canadian cash. Like it kind of was a reflection of, you know, where they were in their lives. Um, and what had happened was they, I think they stole a phone from me and they stole uh, uh, something else. But what ended up happening was they ran, uh, probably within 10 minutes, they had ran into, they had tried it again and they ran into a bunch of cops and they got arrested. And at the same time, I had called a friend. Well, I'd gone to my friend's place where I was staying. And we, had, we had gone out to go look for them because some of the things that they took weren't mine. And um, I wanted to try to get it back. So we they ended up getting caught, but... And then it turned out that, like, you know, the youngest was, like, 15 years old. And, you know, and I think the oldest was, like, in his early 20s, and he had just got out of jail, like, days before. And, um, you know, there was a little bit of a trauma associated with the experience where, you know, even after a couple of days, it was very challenging for me to kind of be around people 
And if I got on a bus and I saw groups of young men, you know, my body involuntarily would just kind of tighten up. And uh, I guess I was dealing with post-traumatic, you know, uh, disorders. And, you know, there wasn't anyone there to, to educate me on what that meant. I just felt, you know, uncomfortable all the time. And uh, it gave me perspective, you know, on A, you know, these guys weren't simply robbing me for the sake of bragging to their friends. Like, this was legitimate survival for them. Um, and B, also kind of understanding how much trauma lingers with us when we deal with it. And it took me a couple of years to really get over it. Um, and I, I write about a chapter where I had an experience with an older gentleman in the subway, where the first time I felt comfortable, you know, speaking to a stranger and kind of letting them in my personal space um, and letting that help me realize that, you know, the only thing that could really help me with that trauma was, you know, A, facing it, but B, time. You know, whenever you, you have an injury, yeah. It's, yeah. it's time that's going to help you heal and you can't speed it up. You could probably slow it down, but you definitely can't speed it up. Well, like, you know, like say that time heals all things usually, and uh -huh. hopefully it does because otherwise you're carrying those negative memories of the experience and you carry them on to the next lifetime as well. And that's not yeah. a good thing because it's important to release that. And Humble, you have a great story in your book about your dog, Hemet. Um, I can relate because this last year I personally lost two Labrador retrievers who'd been in the family. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. For, yeah. Well, it was, it was tough. One in January and one in April, we have adopted a new dog and that is something that you can, um, you can actually experience because when you euthanize a dog, like you did, like I had to do um, to take them out of their pain and suffering, you realize that, you know, look, it's a huge loss, but it's the benefit to the animal itself. So what do you want to convey about the pain and suffering of this experience and the lessons that we all pretty much who have pets, at some point, we're going to suffer this loss. Uh, it's guaranteed in life that that's going to happen because you're probably going to outlive uh, your animals. So um, what what'd you pull from that? And what what have you done going forward? Um, my, yeah, my, so my dog, I grew up, uh, you know, as a teenager, we, we got a German shepherd named him, but then, um, you know, for anybody listening who has a dog, I don't have to explain to you the, the, the beauty and magic of that relationship. And, you know, it's, I think it's second to none. And, you know, <clears throat> however, you know, the flip side of it is, you know, dogs, even at their healthiest, you know, are going to live between 10 to 15 years. And, really, you know, it's going to be on you as the owner <clears throat> to decide, you know, when their suffering is, is beyond what they should be dealing with and, 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 you know, euthanizing them. And, you know, I, I share the story of euthanizing my dog and the confusion that went around it and the pain that went around it and also the, the fear of doing it again, you know, and questioning the beauty of the relationship and saying, is it worth going through that all again? Um, because A, it was extremely painful to lose him, but B, it was even more painful to decide when it was time to lose him. It wasn't a, a sudden death. It wasn't a heart attack. It was us, you know, putting him into a sterilized veterinary office and injecting him with needles. And, you know, those memories, <clears throat> you know, break my heart whenever I think about them. Um, but nonetheless, you know, the question is, is all of that worth the beauty of having them in your life? So, you know, I had my dog for 11 years and you know, it was an amazing 11 years to have him. 
And, uh, you know, it really had me question the idea of, you know, don't, don't cry because it's over smile because it happened. Um, and again, remembering that everything is temporary and not to avoid the pain of losing something instead focused on the joy of having it, you know, one very painful moment is still not enough to make me avoid 11 years of beauty. And, um, you know, I, I haven't gotten a dog since because my lifestyle, you know, with all my traveling hasn't allowed it. But, you know, the moment I was telling a friend recently, I'm like, the moment I start to settle down a little bit more, you know, I want, I want 50 dogs. I want a big farm and I want 50 dogs. And yeah. I'm going to be, you know, uh, surrounded obviously. by them. And yeah. It's, yeah. Well, they bring so much love. Energy is amazing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Then- you know, it's unconditional love. It's probably one of the uh, best things that you can take from an experience with a dog that you love. And, you know, you you obviously were telling me about all the travel you do. You obviously extensive travel, uh, doing your uh, rapping uh, out there, signing books, talking to people. And you speak about this experience when you were traveling from L.A. to New York City first class. And you said, yeah, obviously you don't really travel first class very often. But your lesson is profound from the experience. I wonder if you could do this for us is one, uh, tell the story. And then two, recite your exit poem that you tell around this. Uh, Because this was a really good point in the book for me. And I thought it was a really good lesson. These are the kind of things that, you know, give the listeners an opportunity to say, what can I learn from this, right? Yes, exactly. So I'm just going to find that very quickly. Um, I think that was the closing of the chapter. Um, yes. Okay. So, um, yeah, I was, uh, I got invited to an event and, um, you know, they had organized everything and, you know, I got picked up by a black car and I was given first class and uh, there and back. So, and I had, you know, I had, at this point I had never flown first class before. So, um, I forced myself to stay awake to like absorb the entire experience, you know, eat all the desserts that were provided to me, watch all the movies, you know, enjoy all the features of the seat. And it was kind of knowing that this probably won't happen very often for me. You know, it wasn't like I was going to book myself for any first class flights. And, uh, you know, generally, you know, places, people and organizations who want me to come to wherever they want, they don't, they aren't always booking me first class flights either. So it was the idea of knowing that this is going to be temporary, so enjoy it for how it lasts. And um, I'm realizing now as I flip through the pages that that was the exit chapter that I read. But what I'll do is I'll read the enter chapter for that, uh, which is a little bit more bleak. But it's the, it, I think the, the nature and the idea of it still remains the same. So let me just open that up right here. Uh, summers seem shorter. Winters get longer. Friendships end with the seasons, and we won't always welcome spring. Time stands still for us, and the happily ever afters never happen. It's terrifying. Everyone I know and love will be dead. It's comforting that everyone I resent and hate will be dead. All ashes. How can we have something everlasting in a world where nothing ever lasts? Everything comes to pass. Everything is temporary, even us. How fortunate and unfortunate for us. Death is the only promise. And I think you know, the idea from that, it's really recognizing the temporary and understanding that we have the power to adjust our attitude, perspective, uh, and expectations around these ideas to decide how much peace we get from it. Yeah, perspective about it is so important. It depends on how you look at it. 
It also depends on your belief around it. You can also have an opportunity. You know, you don't have to believe everything you think, right? So the key there is, is changing your perspective, changing your belief and changing your emotions that you have around it as well. And um, maybe not be as emotional about it. Understand the journey and understand this is part of it and learn how to go into it versus resist it. And you, in a chapter called Open, you speak about decision fatigue. You tell a great story about Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos, and you comment, you can't be yourself if you don't know who you are, right? How do you, in in your estimation, help people who come to you find, in your estimation, find themselves? In other words, hey, a lot of people out there don't know who they are. But what is that question? Who are you anyway? And how would you help somebody find who they are? Um, I think it's about, you know, asking people to uh, start to think about the differentiations between, you know, what they want and uh, what they feel the world expects from them, you know, and, and helping to clear, you know, clarify that distinction. Um, I think very often we, you know, we, 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 we land on a template of life and we decide that our value uh, will be decided by how closely we stick to the template or stick to the script that somebody else had written. And we start to believe that we have to do this, otherwise we'll lose our own personal worth and our value. But none of that may agree with our natural self. And um, I think it's important to get people asking that question as well as helping people find their stories through sharing my stories. I feel like, you know, as human beings, that's what we've been doing since the beginning of time, which has been storytelling. And, you know, through revealing our stories, people are able to hear themselves in our stories and thus begin to write their own. And so for me, it's when people don't understand themselves, it's really about prompting questions. Uh, about these, you know, organic moments that made them feel the most alive and energized and letting them recognize that, hey, what's exciting for you may be boring for me and what may be exciting for me may be boring for you. And, you know, let's abandon, let's simply abandon this idea of passion and, you know, let's attach a level of purpose because uh, then we'll find your natural obsessions and we can uh, begin a journey on that. Yeah, so true. And it's an opportunity for people to look inside Look to their soul, their soul's calling, listen to their intuition, uh, determine uh, and distinguish between the ego and a strong, what I want to call higher calling from yourself, uh, and really learn how to tap into that more frequently and with trust. And that's what will drive you toward what your passion and purpose are in life. And you, you know, in the book, you talk about a car accident. This is another way for you to actually uh, talk with the listeners about things no one else can teach us, right? So we're talking about things that nobody else can teach us except ourselves. And in this, how you were exploited by the driver's husband of the other car, what was the lesson about this $1,000 exploitation being paid to the other driver? that you got out of this when that car accident? Yeah. So I was, I was really young. I was 17. I was driving an $800 car and, uh, I, you know, I, I slipped in the rain and I slammed on my brakes and I got in a little fender bender, but I had never been in a car accident before. So I kind of overreacted and, and took all the responsibility, uh, prematurely. And that allowed the driver, um, 
you know, who was a little bit shaken up, but not too hurt. Uh, I think when she got home, her husband kind of changed the narrative and made it about extensive damage, extensive uh, injury. And pretty much they said, you know, it's going to cost X amount of dollars. And I'm like, I don't have that much. They're like, well, give us whatever you had. Um, so I ended up, you know, I had $1,000 in my bank account. That was all I had. My 17-year-old had to his name. And I gave it all up. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, in retrospect, I know I was exploited in that situation. But, uh, you know, I'm not bitter about it. I kind of look at it as, a, you know, $1,000 tuition towards the school of life and understanding how to operate, you know, in the public. Um, and understanding that not everybody will have your best interests in mind and people are going to be looking to get one over on you. And that's exactly what this couple did. And, um, you know, not being bitter that they did it, you know, being grateful that it happened so early in my life. So it can't happen again. Yeah. That's, that's the that, lesson. Yeah. That's the, yeah. That, yeah, that's the lesson and the attitude that we need to have towards these things is, you know, there are always the bright side to these. Uh, we just have to dig a little deeper to find them. Well, throughout this whole book, it's really about the, the reader uh, evolving their wisdom, their wisdom through the stories, their wisdom through the poetry, their wisdom through the words. And, you know, humbly, when you start as a rapper, you try to put all of your gigs together on your own. You know, you were like the one man show, one man band, as they say, you cobble together friends and people who knew you in other cities to help you with your venues. The lesson from all this hard work was time is always worth more than money. Uh, can you make your money back, but one time is spent is gone for good. So when time is spent, it's gone for good. If you would comment on this lesson, because in reality, obviously you have somebody else helping you manage these now, but back then you didn't. And you thought you could do it on the, how do you want to call it, frugal route. And it didn't end up working out the way you thought, nor did it get you the exposure that you wanted either, right? Yeah, completely. I mean, I pretty much, you know, in order to save money, was organizing the logistics of all my appearances and my shows by myself. And it's a lot of work. And what ended up happening was, you know, I was able to throw these successful shows, but my actual live performance suffered because I didn't have time to rehearse. I didn't have time to prepare. I wasn't on going on stage with all the right energy. Um, so I spent so much time, you know, sitting in front of a laptop, handling logistics of all these shows and, and using my bandwidth towards that. And I eventually realized that in the long term, this wasn't going to be beneficial. I was thinking short term. With the money I was earning, I was thinking short term with the exposure I was getting. But in the long term, you know, doing a bad show in front of 200 people is not better than doing an amazing show in front of 20. And I realized that. And I realized the time that I was spending was not being used wisely. And it helped me realize that the time I was spending is worth more than the money I had. Because, again, you know, you can make money back if you lose money. You can't make time back once you lose it. So how we spend our time is really important. And that's, that's definitely an entrepreneurial mindset when you start to realize and look at life um, and value in terms of time more so than money. Yeah, so much so. And I think it's a great lesson that uh, you talked about there. And um, you you have this chapter in the book called Give Yourself Permission to Dance on a Different Rainbow. And we all have different rainbows, you say. You got the chance to meet Pharrell Williams, obviously. Uh, and Pharrell saw right through you and 
and responded in this way. You need to fill the humble, the poet void instead. Um, So, you know, obviously he saw something that you were doing, which wasn't you. And you were doing something differently that wasn't you and didn't meet up with humble's mission and purpose and values. And you had a great takeaway from this. What was the takeaway that Pharrell taught you? Um, I, you know, I was really fortunate to meet him on a trip and I was really picking his brain and asking him a lot of questions. And I think he figured out quickly that I wasn't asking him questions as a fan. Uh, I was asking him questions of somebody who was going through some challenges and he really picked that up early. And uh, as you know, the script kind of flipped on me and he started asking me questions. And then I started sharing my favorite artists and the ones that are no longer active on the scene and how I wanted to fill the void that they left. And he kind of said to me, you know, your job isn't to fill their void. Your job is to fill the void that exists because you're not out there right now. And um, he, he had said to me at the end, he said, you know, your job isn't to make music. Your job is to ask questions. And, you know, in the beginning, I kind of took that as like, wait, you haven't even heard my music. How can you tell me that that's not my job? But I realized later on, he was being much more holistic uh, and, and philosophical, saying like, look, your art is only a value when it's asking the right questions. Whether that's in music, whether that's writing a book, you know, whether that's designing a T-shirt, it's about asking the right questions. And, um, you know, I had kind of, you know, constrained myself to say, okay, you can only make certain types of art. You can only be a certain type of person. You can only be on this one rainbow working towards a pot of gold. And, you know, through his chat with me, I realized, like, give yourself permission. Just because you spent the last 10 years working with something, if it no longer agrees with who you are naturally, it's okay to just jump off that rainbow and hop on another one. It's completely okay to change the trajectory of your life at any age, whether that's 40, whether that's 90. It's, it's completely acceptable and okay. And I think sometimes we, we start to cage ourselves into our reputations by saying, oh, no, I've been doing this for long. I got to stick with it. And the thing is, you know, just like friendship, just because you have a history with something, that doesn't mean it needs to be a part of your future. And I think that was the big takeaway I took from my experiences with Pharrell. Well, obviously, you you talk about something that is revolving around people's fears, right? And mm-hmm. when people approach you around you um, growing through the fear, right? Whether it's uh, losing a friend, telling someone goodbye, switching jobs, uh, switching a partner, whatever it might be, it takes a lot of um, courage. It takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of introspection to understand that that thing in life is not serving you. Uh, the only way to have you be yourself and for you to do that is to make those changes. And there's one thing that's always constant, and that's change. Um, and I think this book does a good job at reflecting the changes uh, that people can make. And humble things no one else can teach us is about our own introspection taught through your stories and your poetry. And I think it gives the listeners an opportunity to reflect uh, on what it is that they'd like to change. And it's a very good time of the year to do that coming up toward the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020. It's an opportunity to do that. I want to encourage all the listeners to go to your website, humblethepoet.com. Check this out. Check this book out in our blog. We're going to have links to that. We'll have links to his YouTube channel. 
as well so that you can listen to some of his rapping. And Humble, it's been an honor having you on Inside Personal Growth and you spending time with my listeners talking about things no one else can teach us, which is really ourselves. So we got to teach ourselves and we got to be continual learners. Is there anything you want to leave with the listeners today as we part and uh, sign off on this podcast? Uh, I want to thank the listeners for, you know, sharing their time with me. We said time is the most valuable thing that we have and taking the time to listen to me and our conversation. And it means the world to me. And I really appreciate that. And I definitely hope that they take time to check out my work, you know, uh, check out my work on Instagram at Humble the Poet and, you know, uh, the little tidbits of work I put up on Twitter as well. And definitely check out both my books at HumbleThePoet.com. Um, and they're also available everywhere books are sold, Barnes & Noble, uh, uh, Indigo in Canada, and obviously Amazon. Well, my blessings to you during this holiday season. Uh, namaste to you, my friend, and thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Amy Jen Su, the author of a new book entitled The Leader You Want to Be, Five Essential Principles for Bringing Out Your Best Self Every Day. Please listen to podcast number 755, where Greg and Amy discuss the principles of purpose, process, people, presence, and peace. These qualities help make great leaders become even better. Learn more about the importance of using these principles in your role as a leader and how you can become more centered, grounded, and focused as a leader in this business world where more is always expected. I hope you enjoy this great interview with author Amy Jen Su about her new book, The Leader You Want to Be. For more information about Amy and her new book, please visit www.paraviz, spelt P-A-R-A-V-I-S, partners.com, backslash our dash latest dash book. Thanks for listening.